Good day, good people. Welcome in to Daily Border Crossings. I'm your host, C.S. Fletcher, a.k.a. Samantha. And I'm excited about my special guests today. Imagine being descendants of a people who were proud, thriving inhabitants of a land until colonizers came and changed everything, vastly changing the way of life for those who were left alive. Now, imagine that happened hundreds of years ago, but for many people, your story is stuck there. On the one hand, it's told, even in school history books, wildly inaccurately. And on the other hand, people expect that if they do see you, you'd still be dressed like the pictures shown from those hundreds of years ago, stuck in a period that they've decided on. Such is true for many people native to the US, referred to as Native Americans or Indians. Once making up uh, the entirety, essentially, of the country, the 2018 census states that there are 2.7 million Native Americans, or sadly, 0.9% of the population. I looked that up uh, after my interview and I thought to myself, we are a land of more than 300 million people and only 2.7 million are Native Americans. November is Native American Heritage Month. I had the pleasure of sitting down with two such people, Loyola Rankin and Isaac Moore, candidly share about life as indigenous people in this country. From family structures different from what's taught as traditional, and having to navigate code switching starting in elementary school. You know, having those like different borders. And so finally, somewhere in my mind, I'm like, okay, when I'm at home, they're considered my siblings. When I'm at school, they're considered my cousins. To addressing stereotypes, the shock on people's faces that, yes, they do wear jeans and t-shirts, and what that Washington football team's mascot really meant and why it was horribly offensive. Plus, they talk about life growing up as well as present day and being a part of an indigenous educator organization called FIERCE that hopes to impact the teaching of history. FIERCE is dedicated to really critically thinking about education, indigenizing it, and building in the, the Native American perspective. And is it Native American? Indian? Indigenous? What should you use? Loyola and Isaac don't presume to speak for every Native person or tribe in this country, but they've got thoughts and ideas on this and much, much more. So let's hear them right now on Daily Border Crossings. Um, Loyola, can you introduce yourself, please? Yes. Hi, everybody. My name is Loyola Rankin. Loyola Rankin, Rankin. Um, my name is Loyola Rankin. I am Meadow people born for the Mexican people. My grandfather was two rivers flow together and my paternal grandfather is Mexican. Uh, I'm from Coyote Canyon, New Mexico and was raised on the Navajo Nation. Currently a master's student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Thank you so much. Thank you, Isaac. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Isaac Moore. I'm a member of the Northern China Nation in southeastern Montana, where I was born and raised. And I'm currently a part-time graduate student at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. This uh, interview is happening on the day that Joe Biden <laughs> was declared president. This is Saturday, it took so long. What are you guys thinking this week? Like, it's like the election was Tuesday and here we go. Four days later, 
um, what, what were you doing when you heard the news? Honestly, I was on Snapchat and found out from my cousin, uh, it was her first time voting and she's a voter in Arizona. And so I just had to tell her I was so proud of her. Um, it's the first time in a long time that Arizona is a blue state this right. election cycle. And just giving her huge props <laughs> as a new votee. Um, and, you know, just having, reminding her of the conversation we had of like, my vote doesn't count. And I'm like, yes, it does. It does just vote. And yes. yeah, just like sharing how proud I am of her. Great, great, great. Isaac? Yeah, I was um, actually on Instagram DMing some friends, getting flooded with like different memes about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden. And um, this this past week has been a whirlwind for everyone. <laughs> and um, so it's really good to hear some final like, you know, news today about the election of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Right, right. Um, Loyola, to your point about Arizona being uh, blue, what do you what what do you think happened this time? Um, well, I think there was just a real strong push in the state to get um, Native American voter turnout. Um, and when you look at the state breakdown by county, you can actually pinpoint where Native American reservations are located uh, because they're in blue counties uh, for the most part. I should say for the most part. Right. And, you know, a real strong push in the Phoenix metropolitan area, um, which does have a large indigenous population too, as well as other people of color. Um, and I was just really excited and proud to see that it turned blue, <laughs> yes, uh, especially right. for a state like Arizona that had um, a problem with a sheriff, um, has a huge problem with like people's legal status, quote unquote. Um, and just the problem with, I would say, the history of that state and of a Phoenix. Um, I'd like to recommend a book, if I could, at this point, uh, Almanac of the Dead. Sure. Uh, uh, really great book that has a lot of like background history told through a narrative. Um, it's a very long book, but very, very uh, interesting perspective. Um, Isaac, who was the author of that one? I'm blanking. Um, that is Leslie Marvin Silco, and that's also one of my favorite books. It's phenomenal. I second her. Is this, her is this a um, Native American writer? Yes. 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 Uh, yes. Uh, she's actually from a pueblo here in New Mexico, um, but she writes about the Phoenix area and um, tells a story from an indigenous perspective through this almanac that was here uh, pre-contact. Okay. Um, I guess, pre-settlers, pre-colonialism. Um, and she has this really great perception too about like plant life and colonialism plant life here in the Southwest, uh, particularly hmm. the cottonwood trees and how much water they soak up and how bad they are for our environment. But, you know, they're brought over with the colonizers. <laughs> um, and you can still see them throughout New Mexico. And every time I see that tree, I'm just like, bastards, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, you are. It's true. Taking all the water. <laughs> you know, you you said in just like the two of you just talking, where you said Native American, you said Indigenous, and one of my questions was going to be, and first, let me just say this: <clears throat> when I have somebody who is not Black ask me, "So, is it Black? Is it African American?" Like, I my first thought is, I don't speak for all of them, and there is a difference in terms of Black and African American in the sense that, like maybe you're somebody from um, 
who's in this country, but is a black person, you know, and you're like, well, I'm not African-American. I'm like maybe African-Caribbean or um, I'm Trinidadian or whatever. Um, so, but I'm asking you as far as your experience and, and such, if there is a preference between Native American, Indigenous, Indian, American Indian, who can uh, speak to that? Um, yeah, I think that's that's a conversation that like is definitely common and commonly directed towards Native people. Like, what do you call yourselves? Um, and I think for me personally, like I, I identify as just, I just say I'm Native. Like there's something empowering about that. It's like yeah. I say I'm Native. And also at least back in my community, like it's really um, popular for us to just refer to ourselves as Indians. But we, we sort of pronounce the word like Indian, like NDN very quickly. Um, and it's, it's just become like a, an identifier that we have for ourselves that feels empowering because we are owning that label. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I think for sure, like the different terms um, speak to different generations and okay. also different concepts of, you know, who inhabited the land before contact, before colonialism. Um, especially when you say Native American, that's like, all of the Americas, both North and uh, South. So you're talking about the entire Americas. Um, and then additionally, when you say indigenous, I think that also came from a term too, because you know when we say Native American, it's capital N, capital A. And so when, I'm just gonna say it predominantly comes from white people of saying like, oh, I'm native to America, so I'm Native American. And it's like, that's lowercase N, capital A. <laughs> right, um, yeah. And so I think that's kind of where the shift is going more towards like saying indigenous. Um, but I also just say I'm native or, you know, ask somebody like, are you native? Um, and usually they know what we're talking about with the capital N. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, but mostly yeah. like if you know a person's tribal affiliation, um, it's better to refer to them as that. Um, and then again, you get into like, what is the colonized word versus what is the indigenous word? So for example, I introduced myself in Navajo, but Navajo is a colonizing word. Um, but most people are now referring to themselves as the Ne, which means the people in Navajo. What? And again, I just did it right there, <laughs> referring to the Navajo as Navajo. Uh, so you get a lot of like um, back and forth conversations inside the own community too about language and how we can see language as a border as well. Mm. I want to talk a little bit about like how you both grew up, like growing up, I want to talk about if you had like daily border crossing moments which is what I call those times when you're like in this space where it's like, do people, are, are you treating me the same as everybody else? Are you expecting me to do what, what dominant culture is doing? So maybe share a little bit about growing up and mention some of those moments as, as they come. Isaac, okay. Yeah, um, so I grew up on the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation in Montana. And uh, it's one of seven reservations in the state. And Montana is largely, um, divided among whites and Native Americans. And there's like a lot of um, racial tensions that have existed for, <laughs> for a long time um, due to, you know, colonization. But um, growing up on the reservation and being physically demarcated, like physical borders, there's like a sign that says, you are entering the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation and, and sort of crossing that like on a daily basis really reinforced my sense of otherness um, when I was, um, so for example, I 
lived on the reservations, predominantly Native American. And then I uh, attended elementary school, uh, middle school and high school in a non-Native American school in a border town that was predominantly white. So every day I was getting on a school bus and like going to a, a white majority town, a white majority school and feeling like an other, feeling very much um, a Native American, a Cheyenne person. Um, were, and, were there many others with you going like on this bus too? Yeah, yeah, there were others. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, there were, I think the school had about 40% of the school was actually Native American, but we all, most of us lived on the reservation. So we were like riding school buses into um, the border town. Okay. But, just that interaction of like physically crossing a border each day right, um, was like really like traumatic in a lot of senses, like just feeling disconnected from my community and feeling really like my, there was like a target around my identity in this predominantly white space. Mm. Um, and I think to go even further for me, uh, being mixed, I'm half white and half Cheyenne and um, growing up on the reservation and being lighter skinned and having a white last name was something that like I had to deal with. <laughs> wow, you were catching it in both directions a little bit. Yeah, feeling yeah. a little bit of like an other in my own community, but also like outside of my community as well. So so your dad, so your dad was white, is white? Yep, my dad. And your dad white. lived on the reservation? Yep, he still lives there. Um, and he's been there for about 40 years and we jokingly tell him that he's a member of the tribe because he's been around there for so long. Right. Were there were there ways that he shielded you from things? Like, could he, I don't know, use his whiteness? I I think I think in certain ways I got um, I benefited definitely from having a white father in certain ways. I it's kind of hard for me to explain, but I think my dad. Um, had a level of, or got a level of respect from other people just based on his being a white man. Yep. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think he was able to shield me from from some harsher things that could have happened. Right. In places. And this was, so that school, this was like, was that your whole schooling? Like K-12, this going to this other town? Oh, actually I should clarify. Um, I. I did attend a Native American tribal school on the res from kindergarten through the fifth grade. And then I started uh, school off the reservation through the end of my high school career. What do you yeah. remember about that experience? Because I find those super valuable um, for, for my own children um, when they were at schools where it was like predominantly African-American children, teachers and all. It was a different thing from where I have them now when I brought them to where I work. Um, it was just different experience. What do you remember about the, your first school? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, predominantly a Native American, mostly Cheyenne children and teachers. Yeah. And so my identity was so salient and prevalent everywhere. Yeah. Like I could see the other students looked like myself. Um, the school prioritized Cheyenne language, culture and history. Uh, in its curriculum. And so I studied Cheyenne language there for five years. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just felt super grounded in my identity and who I was. I've never questioned myself and felt like I had to prove anything. Right. And, and when I went to the majority white school off so of the reservation. 
Yeah. Let's, if you can remember that, like sixth grade, when you first started or, or like getting in there, do you remember thinking what in the world or do you? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while, but uh, I just remember thinking, wow, like things are very different. <laughs> and <laughs> like, like I stick out, like I, I felt like, yeah, I felt like my native identity was um, unconsciously, it was coming to the fore because I was, I was being just like, oh, like blatantly like labeled and like perceived as being native, yeah. like in this predominantly white space where before, like, I just never really thought about it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Loyola, tell us, can you share a little bit about growing up? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of similar to Isaac that uh, I grew up on res and for most of my education uh, attended schools on the reservation, uh, elementary school for sure. And then I kind of went off res for middle school, seventh grade, which was really hard. Um, I think I was the only native kid at a school in Albuquerque. So I was really far off res and then went back on res um, for high school in eighth grade. And I think that in my school experience, like it was very much grounded in the Navajo culture, um, was like 99% Navajo <laughs> uh, growing up. And right, I think sweet. the big culture shock going on to college was like how many other native nations there are, like 573 and so you're just kind of like whoa and you know being Navajo it's one of the largest nations uh, population wise second to Cherokee and has the largest land base right um, officially we're inside of three different states um, we're supposed to be four but we cut right into like Colorado so like unofficially I still think that Colorado is part of the Navajo Nation. Yeah. Um, but you didn't realize that until college, the, the 500 and something? Right. That's <laughs> right, so interesting. Right, exactly. And it sounds like, I feel like the the tale, the narrative that we hear, it's like there's so few Native Americans, you know what I mean? Like there's so few tribes, there's mm -hmm. so few people. And then mm -hmm. here you are realizing that there's 500 and something. When I, when it sound, that sounds like, a, I mean, I'm sure there could have, could be a larger number, but that sounds like such a large number to me. Mm -hmm. But I love that you, okay, so go on. So you realize this when you get to college. Yeah, yeah. And I guess you don't really realize like the gravity of your nation. You know, you see the map at the school and you're just kind of like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> Until you like actually like experience other things that you're just like, oh, the realization hits. Um, we also talking about a little bit about Navajo Nation, um, the border, we actually surround the Hopi Nation as well. So there's like border conflict going on there too between these two nations, which is also interesting. And then we have what's called the checkerboard area um, from the Dawes Act. And then also that's when like the government came in and was like, oh, we'll give you money for your land. And some natives sold the land when they weren't supposed to, but you know, Dawes Act happened. Um, and that was to like break up these uh, reservations to get yeah. rid of the Indian, right? Was this whole idea of like, kill the Indian, save the man type of mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and so now we have like checkerboard reservations here um, and that is part of the nation. So we'll have like two big blobs of Navajo Nation that are like disconnected from the bigger Navajo Nation area. Okay. Um, so you're talking about borders, <laughs> you're talking about like, okay, they, they're still included. It's not all like one lumps together. Um, but, you know, growing up, you didn't really, like, realize it. You're like, oh, it's just Navajo Nation. Yeah. Um, 
I didn't really cross borders so much from the day to day growing up, but on the weekends we did, we had to go into Gallup, which is a border town right outside the Navajo Nation. Um, and for the longest time, my siblings and I, my cousins, we would always argue if Gallup was on the Navajo Nation, because <laughs> there's like so many Navajos there that you're like, no, it's part of the Navajo Nation. They're like, no, it's not. Um, but when you realize it, um, driving home, the streetlights end, and that's where the Navajo Nation begins. <laughs> so literally, you're thrown into this darkness, and you're just like, and the roads get like a little worse. Um, it's better now, but like definitely growing up, it was very noticeable um, that change between the two of like the road structure. Mm. Um, and then just a little bit about Gallup of being like a border town. It actually has the most millionaires per capita um, because really? of all the money that the nation is putting into the border town. It's actually the highest grossing Walmart in the entire, I think, nation and probably the world. Where is Gallup? And it's like Bon. Gallup, New Mexico. Yeah. Okay. It's like fondly referred to as like a gathering of nations every day, <laughs> just because there's so many um, Navajos there. Um, but yeah, it, it's a pretty unique place to grow up. Um, and then just noticing like how different it is now right. that I'm older. Um, and then going home onto reservation um, every so often and just being like, oh, that changed. That's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> What about, what about you, for you with school, there's a difference between school life and home life, was there? Uh, for the most part, it depended on what teacher you had. Um, so mm. if your teacher was Navajo or Native, um, I think there was more understanding in like, when I refer to like my cousins as my siblings. You like, talked about that. Yes. But and I, I and I didn't, do you, you talked about that in a few yeah. Few days later I was in a, um, a different class with this different thing and they were talking about it was this black person who was native to an African country that I don't remember but it was so funny he was like this family thing is more like this is a colonized type of like that that's not everybody's family structure is not the way and that was it's so interesting that you I feel like I've learned as much as I'm gonna learn you know sometimes I think and then I like learned this new thing where I was just like wait what um but it was so interesting when so when he said that I instantly thought of you because I was like wait I thought you know mom dad brothers like this is how this is the only way like that's what a real quote-unquote traditional but again I'm sorry to interrupt you but that this I'm glad you brought that up like so talk about that again because you siblings are cousins or what we have been told are cousins or siblings to you right is that how that works right right and so like that would be my maternal first cousins are considered my siblings. And so like, I have like 15 <laughs> siblings, you know, brothers and sisters. Um, biologically, so I only have three. Yeah, yeah. And then, but wait, and so, so know, like your, so your parent, your mom's siblings, children are, are your siblings. So your mom's siblings, are they still considered siblings also? To your mom, like my her your dad's? My dad's side would be uh, different, but for maternally, they would be considered siblings because our clans are the same. The first clan I mentioned is the same. Um, and then for my dad's, our clans would be different and they would be considered your cousins. And so it's a very matrilineal society in that your mom's side and your dad's side is different. <laughs> okay. And then okay. to like further complicate it, um, my uncle is considered my son what that so it's also the head dynamic going on. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, i'm trying all this at home 
Yes. I'm trying to follow. Uh, and I'm following. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And then you go to school and they're like, all right, we're going to do a family tree now. And you're just kind of like, I don't get how this works. Um, and, you know, they're like, here, take this home to your mom. And I'm like, I have a couple of moms because my aunts are considered my moms. <laughs> <laughs> And so you're just kind of like confused as a child and, you know, having those like different borders. And so finally somewhere in my mind, I'm like, okay, when I'm at home, they're considered my siblings. When I'm at school, they're considered my cousins. Um, and, you know, you always go to school with your cousins too. They're like a few grades older than you or like yeah. younger than you. And so you sit on the bus, on the playground. Right. Um, so yeah, so that, that kind of border was also really interesting too of that code switching that tends to happen. Yeah, that's well. what I was just about to say. You had to learn how to code switch early on. Um, would your dad's siblings or children be cousins? Yeah, so they, they'd still be considered my cousins um, okay. because the way the, uh, our clans are related. Um, and and by, clan, <laughs> by clan, you mean? Oh, how I introduced myself in the beginning. So um, I am Meadow People Clan because that's what my mother was and my grandmother and down that line. Got and then when I say Mexican people, that's my dad's side and so forth. Thank so you. So you have like, you have to keep track of the four <laughs> and then it gets more and more complex. <laughs> wait, so wait. So if I were to meet somebody. Yes, what are the four? Yeah, so it's kind of hard because like, visually it makes more sense when you have like the chart and everything so like in Navajo clan systems there's 16 family groups okay. and then each side of in family group is like more and so like if I were to meet somebody let's say who's also Navajo who is like from I don't know Chicago Illinois and they're also Hatsoe they're also Meadow people okay uh, they would be considered my sibling even ah. though we're not biological okay 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 thank you so that's like the easy <laughs> Thank you. I'll learn more as the school year goes on. Um, as I can yeah, continue to remember that, like third grade, right? <laughs> trying to teach you the clan system, and you're just like, what? Like, do the power to like have do you have you have like a, a teacher who's a non native, and you're like, you don't know this, and the teacher's like, what? It's going on, right? Um, yeah, exactly. And so if you had a white teacher, it'd be like something different. And they'd be like, all right, we're bringing in Miss Yazi. She's going to explain clans to you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, okay. So you share some, like those border crossing sorts of things. And I imagine like they go on to like adulthood when you go and you move and you, you know, you different experiences from childhood, but still nonetheless, probably some of them. You both went away, like to like after high school. Did you both move away, Isaac? Do you want to share, like, how was that? Yeah, yeah. Um, after high school, I moved away to upstate New York and uh, went to college at Bard College, um, which is a predominantly white institution, and that definitely was a culture shock and an adjustment for me. Not just only coming from like rural Montana and more of a socially conservative background, but coming into a space that was just so culturally different and being like the only Native American student there was, um, was a big part of that experience for me. And so I feel like when we think about borders, when I was mentioning like border crossings between the reservation and off the reservation, yeah. I feel like there was a continuation of, of that sort of border in terms of I was separated from my community by going away to college. Mm. Um, 
a good thing. Like going to college is great. I mean, a lot of benefits to that. Right. <laughs> and, and especially being like a first generation student and um, being a Native American student is a big, a big deal. Um, but having that tension between um, being away at school in New York and then not being around my family and my Cheyenne family and my relations and hearing the language and being just surrounded by my identity was yeah. uh, something that still continues to this day, <laughs> being in Massachusetts right now currently. Yeah, because did you go straight from your undergrad to grad to Massachusetts, to, straight from New York to Massachusetts? I have actually uh, zigzagged around after I finished my undergrad. I spent some time in Europe. I did a master's degree in comparative history in Budapest, Hungary at um, Central European University. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, which was really great <laughs> and uh, really cool and interesting. Uh, and then I spent some time in New York um, and I worked at a nonprofit in Amherst, Massachusetts at the Yiddish Book Center doing oral history interviews on Jewish history and culture. And then I wound up in Massachusetts in the Cambridge area in um, 2015. And I've been working at Harvard since 2016. And I've been at the Graduate School of Education since 2019. Got it, got it, got it. Um, and then Loyola, what's been your move around path journey? Uh, so I went to school in Providence, Rhode Island at uh, Brown University. Um, I was there for quite some time. It was a very small Native population there, but um, really close-knit, tight-knit group. Um, met some Navajos there, so that was great. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And even from, yeah, even from the local colleges, too, um, people who were like the only um indigenous people at their colleges would come to Brown and we'd like form this cohort of groups. So they were like border crossing too, on campus, off campus. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, just making sure that they got the support that they needed uh, in this space. Um, and then also, you know, having to navigate the New England indigenous folks too, and making sure that we're properly respecting their customs and traditions. And so making sure we have that connection with them, um, inviting them to campus, you know, providing resources when possible and trying to navigate those inner tribal and like historical um, histories that are going on at the same time. You're like, I have no clue, <laughs> like what is the history of indigenous people in New England? And so like really was fascinated about um, the complexities taking place there um, and currently today the political climates that are going on. So that was pretty cool hmm. um, and very exciting to learn about. And then um, I did what we were supposed to do, right? Of like return back to the res and try and help my nation. Um, and that didn't go so well, <laughs> uh, mostly from housing concerns. And so decided to moved to Albuquerque, which a lot of us call a, an honorary reservation since there's so many indigenous people here and you'll find like indigenous conferences here. Um, so did that and have, and currently here, I guess. Okay, and that's where you are now? Yes, you, yes. Um, 
when you say it didn't work out so well, did any of that have to do with like moving away and coming back being hard because of because you had left or? It came up a few times, um, this idea that you left and, you know, what do you know now? Do you think you're better than us? That mm-hmm. type of mentality. Um, I actually didn't share where I went to school for the longest time um, and just said like I had a degree and didn't really share where it was from um because I felt so, like that's so interesting people treat because you differently yeah 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 exactly I'm just like no I'm I'm just like y'all like I misspell words and like I felt things and <laughs> right. you know put my keys in the microwave by accident one time like <laughs> you're well, just kind of like wait a minute you have a degree kidding. are you sure <laughs> <laughs> well and then that was that was brown and then this is Harvard and then and I feel like both of those are places where you know Brad and Harvard would be shocked that like, wait, what? You don't want to name me, you know? And it's the kind of thing where people just assume that if you go there, everybody wants to hear that. So it's fascinating to think that not everybody's impressed by that. You know what I mean? Or, or some people, you know, it's fascinating, I think, to hear that, like, maybe I, maybe you don't want to share where you went um, because of, because of what, how it might make people treat you, you know, because of how people Mm. view it or, or feel about it um even when in all its prestige yeah Yeah, and I I kind of get a little um annoyed sometimes when they'll when I'm talking to somebody and I'll be like oh that's really smart and then they'll find I went to Brown I'm like oh you must have learned that at Brown I'm like no my grandma taught me that like (laughs) right (laughs) they doesn't get all the credit (laughs) right right there's so much that I'm speaking of grandma so much that I learned from my grandma that like (laughs) is meant so much more and she never went to college she didn't even get a chance to finish um high school you know it's like come on there's so much to be learned that's that's just not at a university even though you know not that there's anything wrong wrong with the with the university um I'm curious about like what I want to know what it was like for you being the children of like people who are the indigenous people to this land and and having history taught like what was that like to like sit through history classes because I'm like they didn't teach it like I learned the truth you know like it was just like you know somebody discovered this place and it's just like you forgot to say the part where people were already there like yes he discovered it he he discovered because he was sailing on a ship and he's like oh I discovered that I I hadn't seen land this is land I haven't seen before like discovering that sense not discovered like (laughs) you you know that's just one aspect of it. But like, what was it like sometimes being in history classes throughout the years, different ones, different grades, whatever, different college, I don't know, just like things like that. Isaac? Yeah, yeah, this is a great question. And as someone who studied history, like I, as I get older, I think more and more about these, these questions. Um, So yeah, in elementary school, I was taught like a very critical version of not just American history, but um, mostly about the history of my nation of the Cheyenne people by women educators who did not have degrees from you know, universities. They were just like women who were very knowledgeable, carried tradition and culture and history within themselves. Yeah. And so I benefited from that early on at the school uh, on the reservation. Um, yeah, and it, that, that stays with me forever. It's really beautiful. Um, but I, I, I think about a time when I was in the sixth grade at the predominantly white school in Colstrip, Montana, 
and we were required to take a history of Montana course. And we learned the names of all the counties and the county seats and all the governors and all the history of all the settlers, all white people. And there was literally nothing said about Native American people or the tribes, the reservations that exist and that live there. And it just, I just remember feeling very sad and very alienated and thinking like, why am I not in this book? Like, why is my history not important enough? Yeah. Uh, and that was in the sixth grade and in a public school. Mm. Uh, yeah. And I, and I don't even know that you know, like, what are you going to raise your hand and be like, can we talk about this? You know, like, you're like, I'm the new kid here at this new place. And I know something is missing and it's taught with such comfort too. Like teachers didn't say, at least in my experience, they didn't even teach it and say, Hmm, I question this, you know, it's like, it's just the norm. It just drives me, yep. you know, it makes yeah. me mad, but I'm like, I imagine that it, it's got to be like super irritating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think the education system in America is a pretty interesting dynamic. I think it's um, yeah, we could do a whole three hours just talking about it. Um, and I'm trying to think of like some good stories to share that are key. And I think like the, probably the big one related to education and history would probably be in like seventh grade when I went off school or off res, um, to a school predominantly white again and like my assignment for the history you know you're supposed to like read up on a historian and like do a presentation and uh, my seventh grade teacher gave me Kit Carson and so for those of you that don't know uh, Kit Carson um, was the leader in rounding up Navajo people and forcing them onto the lawn walk from northern New Mexico down to like the southeast part of the um, the state and there they were held captive and they were trying to make that the reservation. Uh, along the way, they killed so many elderly and children. Um, and, you know, having that as an assignment from a seventh grade teacher who is an authority figure and you're just kind of like, okay, okay. <laughs> you know? I'm like this... a super teacher's pet too, so I'm not going to say nothing. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. I mean, it's good to and be a teacher. Having... Like you want to please the teacher, but like, and so here you are, like right. I, I got to do this because I want to look like the good student. What was there a spin? I'm sure I imagine like, because for me, Robert E. Lee, who was like a general in the mm. Confederate um, army and they lost, you know, when I realized that I was probably like out of high school when I realized that, cause he was taught in South Carolina as a hero. And it's like, like, I was like, wait, what happened? Like later in life. So it's just like, how did they spin Kit Carson? Was he portrayed as like, a person who was um, helping land owners or like what, what was the spin on him? Pretty much. Um, I, I remember distinctly her saying, like when I brought up, you know, the murder of elderly and children. And <laughs> Wait, you brought it up. When I brought it up, when I mentioned truth, <laughs> she was like, I just remember, I can see it in my mind, her looking at me and being like, well, didn't he do that because they were going to kill all of them if they didn't reach this space at a certain time? And I'm like, are you justifying? Like, <laughs> what, are, what are you trying to say? And I was like, and you're also asking me in the seventh grade. <laughs> so like, <laughs> I'm a child. Like, I don't like, sure, whatever, man, whatever you need. Um, and it, it just depends on like what part of New Mexico you're in, because of course we do have like what's considered little Texas, um, the part of the state that actually touches Texas. And I'm like, all right, that's just culturally Texas. 
Um, whereas like in New Mexico, we're like, no, he committed genocide and like they, you know, salted the earth literally with the crops, you know, poisoned the sheep, poisoned the water um, to get Navajos out of these areas. And when they retreated to canyons, you know, they threw people off the canyon and, you know, it's just very violent, very like, um spatial awareness and history um that you can kind of see like I don't really see it in other places I think because like when you think of America you know you think big cities you think of these areas that constantly change right. um but we actually have Canyon de Chez here in New Mexico uh, we have Chaco Canyon and so these places that are like grounded in history and so when you stand in them you have this different sense of time hmm. um and so that really got me thinking of like time as a border and like how um, as native people, we've internalized certain aspects of time because when they talk about us, you know, it's always past tense. It's always historical. It's always mm -hmm. like, they're no longer here and uh -huh. that for us. And I'm like, I'm, I'm right there, like, front row. Um, and, you know, just like really wanting to fight people like physically. Uh, I remember being at Brown and was taking this history class um, and, you know, we're at the end of the semester, we're doing like the course evaluation or whatever. And this guy raises his hand and he's like, yeah, everything, you know, pre 1770, completely useless. We don't need to know any of that. <laughs> and I was just like, what? Like you're calling the history that we learned about with the first people who are here and still here and still maintaining the land? Like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? I was exactly. waiting for the faculty. I'm like, meet me outside, son. Like, <laughs> wait a second. Wait a I didn't second. I fight him, but I wanted to, and I've never fought anybody in my life. <laughs> so wait, the, t the whoever was leading this, this professor or whatever, didn't step in. Nope. Was like, that's a totally valid point. What? Yeah, this was at Brown, and so when people are like, oh, that's where smart people go, and I'm like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> not so much. That. <laughs> you know thinking about the teacher looking at you and saying but weren't they gonna kill blah 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 but wouldn't they all and and the professor's like it, it just speaks to like how like i so i hold race workshops about teaching people to become anti-racist and every time you know there are people in the workshops that are white that are like i really didn't know they're like i am not happy with the way i was taught stuff and i want to learn better and i want to do better and i appreciate those people that can say that but i'm it doesn't mean that I'm, well, I'm mostly not surprised now because I've been doing it for a while. But for a long time, I was so surprised. I'm like, did you really not know this? Did you really? And there's a lot of them that I meet will be like, that'll really like believe this thing they were taught about, you know, Native people were the dangerous ones or Black people were the dangerous ones. And I'm like, it wasn't either. It was the other way around <laughs> in both cases. But like they really have this thing. And so she probably was like, of course, he had to do that because he had to defend or or he had he was saving some bigger thing. And then this professor at Brown is like, well, yeah, you know, with the history that matters is what happened after colonialization, because because all these advancements were happening and just like forgetting everything else. And how like it's it's fascinating to me um, that that certain groups allow it to be so one-sided and don't dig for more and don't question um, because of maybe an allegiance to that, whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate and fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think like that was something that was very prevalent in like my undergrad experience was like how 
focused New England education is on like we are the center of the world and like everything mm. is revolving around this and this is the hub of like education you know you have Massachusetts right there like right next to Rhode Island right and so when we started talking about like the southwest and I'm like you know we've had cycles of conquest like the Spaniards were here the Mexicans were here not even including like indigenous people's relationships in California with like the Dutch and like the French and like all these other areas of like colonizers too and their histories yeah um there's a really great book uh by the last name Spicer it's called Cycles of Conquest in okay. the Southwest region and it talks about like all these different political powers throughout history here in the Southwest that's uh, really fascinating and then there's also a very unique concept here in the Southwest too of like uh, the border crossed us with mm. the Treaty of Guadalupe that also happened <laughs> and so you know these dynamics that take place and um, you know, the U.S.-Mexico border runs through, I think, like seven different tribal nations, too. Mm. So just depending on, like, what side of the border you're on um, determines your, like, U.S.-Mexican nationality. Which is so, I remember learning that at some point, seeing an old map and being like, wait, what? This was not, the like, this was all Mexico? Like, it went up way higher <laughs> than what I learned about, you know, when I'm learning about the 50 states and stuff. And it's it's just so, so such an interesting sort of... Um, Thing to think about and then we we talk about the border walls and, and such um isaac let me let you get in here yeah thank you um i wanted to sort of raise something that i piggyback on what loyola was saying about her experience at brown and um at the institution there not prioritizing or maybe valuing the history of the southwest or indigenous people's histories um very similar for me at bard a place where Native American studies just generally wasn't, wasn't really included in, in the curriculum. And so um, thinking about like what history is prioritized and what history is not mm. um, is something that really I struggled with in a lot of ways to try to find where I fit in at the, at the college in right. terms of what I was studying. Um, but I also like the point about um, New England education, sort of thinking about New England as the center of the universe, um, like the, the, you know, the coastal elitism that happens here. <laughs> um, I, that's definitely something that I'm like, I'm a coastal elite now since I live over here, but like, this is not my home. <laughs> and so it's just something I, like, I definitely like think about and I can identify with, you know, tension between Montana and then, and then being here. Mm. Um, I will also just say that back in Montana, yeah. like we, history is so nascent. Like it was only like 150 years ago that there was like um, the Battle of the Little Bighorn where General Armstrong Custer, who was a hero of the Civil War, um, was defeated by like an alliance of Native American tribes, the Cheyenne, Ooh. Lakota, and uh, Arapaho. And it was a huge, huge, event, one of the last big battles of the Plains Indians Wars. And for like Native people, that's a huge historic time. It's a big part of our history. I was just like, about to say, like, I don't, yeah. I do not know. I probably should know. But it's, it reminds yeah. me of like with slavery, where you're taught, like, it seems like, oh, these people just never even thought about fighting back. You know, now people tell stories of like uprisings where people actually sometimes did stand up for themselves. 
but say I did not I didn't know this like that there was a time when like like that is worth knowing like hey there was a battle and you actually won you know yep yeah yeah exactly and sort of so the story of that history is not well taught and it's mostly like known in the Native American communities because it's like a, a positive <laughs> one of our positives our wins yes. uh, yeah and if it is taught it's mostly through like you know, stereotyped media like Westerns and paperbacks and, and that whole Hollywood industry of, you know, yeah, making light of the Indian plight and spinning a Hollywood romantic tale onto it. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of stereotypes, I was going to ask which ones kind of you get sick of. Um, questions that maybe you get tired of hearing or are there any stereotypes that you'd like to be like, can we just like crush that one? Yeah, yeah there, there are a couple that... Uh, yeah, I think for me, one of the most annoying ones is people just assume like you don't pay taxes. You're Native American, you don't pay taxes. What? <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, yes, I do pay taxes. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a box you get the check to get out of that. Yeah, it's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, there's this whole stereotype and mentality around, or, or that presumes that Native Americans don't pay taxes, get everything for free. Free healthcare, well, some of us do get free healthcare with the Indian Health Service, but it's not the best. There are a lot of um, negatives around that. But the idea that we get everything for free, free college, um, particularly is very painful for me to, to receive because um, Native American students are so underrepresented in higher education. And <laughs> I personally took out student loans to go to college, I had to like fight and work my way through it. Right. So, <laughs> Right. So, so yeah. Um, not that you should have to pay for yeah. taxes or costs. I mean, for, for yeah. me. <laughs> but, but right. Okay. So that's one that comes to mind. Loyola or Isaac, whatever. If you think of any other ones, just jump in. Yeah, no problem. Um, just on the tax thing too, there's a little town on the Navajo Nation. It's called Tuba City. And I learned that it has the highest tax rate in the nation. Um, just percentage wise, I think it's like something like 23%, which is insane. Um, just because it's like right on the border of the Hopi Nation and the Navajo Nation, then you have the Arizona, then you have the county. And so like when they, people are like, you guys don't pay taxes. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like the highest taxation is like on an Indian nation. Right. Um, there's a couple that come to mind. Um, first and foremost, you know, the... Washington football team don't say the word <laughs> please um, even when you're speaking out against it for those that know that term isn't related to like the stereotype of the race of the color of our skin uh, that actually comes from when people would hunt indigenous people uh, they would cut off their scalp and turn that in for money as proof that they killed a Indian person, children, men, women, and that's what that word means. And so that's why we fought so hard. And in 2020, we finally like had to take it off of a national football team. That is so, so interesting that like, I definitely thought, I'm sure for years I said it because I, you know, as a part of the football team with like, in my ignorance, I mean, if I'm, if, who's playing, you know, that team and the, you know, whatever, whoever else. And then once the, you know, there was all this stuff that's like, okay, that name needs to change. I definitely thought it had to do with skin color, you know, like 
that's all I thought it was. Was like, and I and I thought that was enough. Still, like that, but but you shouldn't like that's not a positive. Like that's not acceptable. I had right. heard of this scalping. I think I had heard yeah. it called, but I didn't relate the two. Of, and I and is it because the skin of the scalp was bloody? Is that what the co- mm-hmm. is that why it's probably what what oh my gosh that makes my heart scared like I feel really scared right now <laughs> um <laughs> and also just when I had heard learned about scalping I was like who thinks of I swear man I'm like who even thinks of that kind of stuff like who I just I just don't like I just don't know like I mean why did why did that need to be the thing that like got taken but anyway you know, in the news, they'd find the one or two um, Indian people who didn't have a problem with it, you know, to use as the, to be, be the voice. Well, they actually don't don't care. And I would hear all these stories from like groups of Native people that were like, actually, we don't want that. You know what I mean? So and I also find it interesting that like they couldn't come up with a name. Like it's just like, well, we'll just call it the Washington football team. Just get like, what does that say that I, I don't know what that like you, you need to stick to that or nothing else. You know, I, I don't. I don't, I don't know, but I remember I was listening to a sports um, talk show and they talked about um, this guy was just like, that was it for me. There's this white guy who called up and he was like, the team has been losing for so many years. I've been a fan and I'm glad to be, a, you know, I, I keep, I've been sticking with my team. I don't like how the organization is run. And they, you know, I, I've been holding on, even though they never win and I get sick of it, but that name changed. That was the final draw. Cause that was too much. The final straw. And he's like, I'm not, that's it. Like they, everybody's so politically correct. And I'm just like, come on. And I was hoping that the host would say, sir, but listen, you know, it's mm-hmm. actually not okay. But the host didn't, the host is just like, so that was a lot for you. I'm like, where am I? Um, but okay. Yeah. So it's right on line with that professor I was talking about in undergrad, right? They're like, well, that's a valid point. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not a fair point. It's not valid. Stop using the name. Yes. We're people, we're not characters. You know, I'm talking about you, Blackhawks. Um, talking about you chiefs stop it (laughs) I wondered about that too the chiefs I was like well so what about chiefs I said to somebody and they're like well but that's not bad like they they are like chiefs I'm like but we don't have any like you know um I don't know Chicago white boys you know what I mean like I was like you do realize we don't have any other people anyway were you about to say something yeah another thing that really comes up um which I I wish like people would stop saying is the term spirit animal. Um, like Wait, it's what did very, you say, spirit, spirit animal? S- spirit animal, yeah. It seems to be um, very in vogue for younger yep. white people to say, oh, my spirit animal's a turtle. And, yes. <laughs> and I, it's really annoying. And I, I, it stems from this like idea that like native people are like mysterious creatures connected to mother earth and have this, you know, special spiritual power. And we're sort of like mythologized and we're like magical people. Um, and it, it's really harmful. <laughs> it's very harmful. And it really makes light of our traditions and our cultures that are very diverse uh, across our different nations in the States. I do think- um... Absolutely. That's, that's definitely one of the things that like irks me to no end because in Navajo philosophy, like the bear is considered my grandpa, as is the horned toad, which is a um, animal here in the Southwest. And I'm just like, why would you talk about your grandpa that way? Like such disrespect. And 
you know, there's definitely that connection of like relationships. And if you're not properly talking and displaying that relationship with respect, like it gets super frustrating to hear people like just use these terms. And I'm like, that's not what that word means. Stop it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wait. Exactly. Yeah. Like, wait, what? Wait, Loyola, wait. Ex- um, expand upon that. Like the bear and the horn toad. Like, what did you just say now? Help me, help me out here. Oh, uh, in our philosophy, they're 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 considered my grandpas. Like each of us, they're our relatives. And that goes back to like our creation stories, right? Like, and I think there's this culture that kind of trickles down depending on what your belief is of like your creation story Uh, Mm -hmm. I know the Christian one with like Adam and Eve and like Mm -hmm. God made them special but he just made the animals by saying they'll exist animals whereas in our creation story which again is different across all nations just want to point that out again okay you know there's like four different worlds and we like crawl through the different worlds and along the way the animals came before us and so Mm. first off was like the insects and then like the mammals and so forth and so like paying respect to the way the animals helped us through these worlds they got certain relationships to us and so like there's certain things that you cannot do like just don't do it so like for us too um we have a deity called the spider woman and so like, you're not supposed to kill spiders. Like you're actually supposed to catch them and like put them outside, which is really hard because there are black widows and like brown recluses in the <laughs> Southwest. And so I always feel bad. I'm like, I'm sorry, you just can't be in here. You have to go. <laughs> um, but you know, just like those relationships that you have and you know, then you have some bullshit like Coachella where it was like, yeah, the dolphin's my spirit animal. And I'm like, get the hell out of my face. <laughs> got it i'm with you okay i think there is a yeah, I mean, like just, there's like a respect I for, there i feel like i don't know if it's stereotype but what i what i think about native people i think that there is a respect for nature um and the environment in a way that like is caring but i see how people make it into this whole other like isaac was saying all mystified and like it's like <laughs> like we have these special magical powers I definitely, I'm sure I've seen that, that like it playing out in media or Hollywood kind of thing where it's just like, we actually just respect the earth, <laughs> respect the environment kind of deal. Yeah. And it's just that relationship, which I'm just like, that's, anyone can have it. Like, that's not anything special to like indigenous peoples. It's just, you have to have those relationships and acknowledge them and say what they are. Yeah. Um, I think that's the other part too of like, with this Christian ideology, I'm going to say, because again, like at one point in my life, I was <laughs> a Christian. I don't identify as that anymore. But that like man has surveillance over like all animals and all things. Whereas like in, you know, indigenous philosophy, like they came first. So there's definitely that level of like your elder or like the knowledge they hold. And that's something you will never understand. So don't try to like disrespect others. <laughs> Got whether it. they look like you or not and i hate yep. it because pocahontas happened and then like hippies happened and <laughs> got <laughs> it that yeah really the colors good. of the wind and i'm just like Stop. oh <laughs> but at the same time okay <laughs> right yeah um what is the population now of natives right is it is like what percent do you guys do you even know Rough estimate. I think it's a little over a million people. I think it's 
I think we're like roughly one to two percent of the U.S. population. I, okay. I could be wrong, but I think that's roughly the estimate. I thought too. I thought I'd heard too. And so, like you talked about going to Brown and um, Loyola and finding other Indigenous people. And Isaac, I'm not sure. Like in in New York, maybe is it is it hard to like go when you moving into a new space to like find other or see other you know like I I had I mean the closest thing I can compare this to is a cousin that I had that moved to Utah and he was like uh <laughs> like um I couldn't see anybody else that looked like me but so what is it as you move about because like two percent just makes my heart sad I mean it just I mean okay this is not about me but it just bothers me I'm like two percent like from a place that was you think you know that I I mean I who why am I telling you you know that but like it just you probably have had time to like be fine with, I don't know, by now, <laughs> maybe not even get as mad as I do, but like, I'm bothered that it's only 2% clearly, but also is it hard when you move around to like maybe social media? It's funny. You both mentioned social media when, what you were doing when finding out Biden won, but maybe social media helps. Like how do you link up with other ones? If there's only a million in this country of 300 plus million people. Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, it's definitely hard. I feel like if you move to a new place, like when I moved to New York, um, yeah, like I wasn't on social media much back then in 2009 as I right. am now. Um, but uh, it's definitely hard to find who was and who wasn't. Um, and social media lately has been a big way to um, connect with other Native peoples across different time zones and places. Um, I, particularly Instagram is a big platform for native um, artists and activists, like hashtag indigenous, hashtag indig, hashtag Indian is, is something that um, we use a lot. Okay. Uh, I think for me, like, and I think Loyola might be able to identify with this as well, is for native people, it's like, if you see someone and you think they look native, as a native person, you just like know they're native. You're like, oh, she's native. <laughs> like I can see it in her eyes. Like I know, I know. <laughs> and so like I've definitely like in Boston when I first moved to Massachusetts, I made friends with other native people sort of just randomly by seeing them like out at like, you know, an event or wow. down the street or something. I'm like, that person looks native. I'm gonna go talk to them. <laughs> and you have 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 you always been right? Yeah, yeah, like 99% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, I think the fierce, the call that I was on for fierce, which we'll talk about uh, next after, after Loyola, you can answer this question. But like, was there six, wait, five, how many people were on that? Were there six of you? Like uh, there was four of us on the panel. Four on the panel, uh, okay. And our membership, we have uh, six total. So yep. how did you guys find each other? Um, I think it's like, as Isaac said, you kind of just know, and you're taught early on to find your people. Um, mm. So, you know, visiting the Native American Resource Center, looking through their directory at last names, um, which isn't always helpful because, you know, Isaac and I don't have um, traditional Navajo last, or Native last names, sorry. Right. Um, but you'll, you, you kind of just know. Um, okay. My go-to is um, if you wear something like Pendleton or like beaded earrings, um, just kind of like throwing it out there of like, oh, I'll find my people if you just got to display in certain ways that a native person will notice. Uh, <laughs> what is Pendleton? Said, you kind of like, no, when there's so few of you, you kind of like pick up and you're just like, okay, all right, I see you. And then yeah. you throw a joke and you're like, who laughs and who doesn't? I'm, 
okay all right i know where you're at <laughs> is <laughs> we'll pendleton i don't we'll, know if i should we'll know throw in the joke real quick i don't know if i should know pendleton but what is it it's a company in what, what state not oregon. washington um it's in pendleton oregon. oregon thank you I was like, what's happening yep. below Washington? Uh, it's a company in Oregon that um, profits off of indigenous designs. Um, it's mainly using like blankets, uh, wool blankets, which is okay. pretty interesting. There's a lot of historical connection there. Um, so you'll recognize like the look of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, it's a blanket design. And then you're like, oh, the smallpox blankets. And then you're just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so your mind automatically like connects these tragedies you're just like but I have a Pendleton blanket like I'm not even joking like it's somewhere here anyway um but yeah it's like a it's a white company that benefits off of native designs um and you make like wallets or like uh I've seen coats I've seen like really nifty stuff um, okay but yeah really beautiful designs I must say <laughs> they uh, are because they're like indigenous designs and they're so pretty yeah. And they had like a Star Wars one that came out. And so it was like these geographic, geographic, geometric shapes ah. um, in a, this design. So you're just like, oh, they're so pretty. And they're like colorful and brilliant. Um, nice. Yeah, they profit off of <laughs> indigenous love for our own design. So there's a push to like separate from uh, that company, but it's pretty prominent in uh, indigenous cultures or indigenous fashion. Got it when people find out that you are indigenous, because I don't know what they might assume, you know, they might not assume that at first, but when they find out that you are, do you get reactions like, no way, or do you get, like, what kind of reactions have you gotten? Yeah, I often get a, a reaction of like, wow, like, whoa, surprise, like, you're the first Native person I've ever met. <laughs> <laughs> or I often get the question of like, well, are you, how much are you? Are you really native? Um, what? Sort of like questioning, yeah, my last name is a white name. Right. Uh, it's not a Cheyenne traditional name. And I'm not like the darkest person in the room. Okay. But, you know, people sort of pick up on these ideas of like what one should look like, which right. is like dramatic. And then they try to like judge me, <laughs> usually in the first few minutes after I, I've met with someone. Mm. I'm sorry that happens. Well, the same? Yeah, yeah, just about the same. Um, and I think like it's definitely different depending on what clothing I'm wearing. So like comparing my classroom experience to like my graduation experience when I wore like the traditional Navajo rug dress and like my jewelry and my hair in its and just yep. the reactions I got and like people wanting to take my picture and like stand with me. And I'm like, I don't fucking know you. Like, <laughs> who are you? Like, come on, get out of here. Um <laughs> <laughs> and then just being like, well, like you look really pretty like oh look at you and I'm just like I'm trying to graduate like it's freaking hot <laughs> Could you, like, not I can't believe they and, like, actually were like can I take a picture with you what yeah and I'm just like I'm not a commodity man I'm like in a spiritual space I'm saying a ceremony is ending because I've got my degree and like you know we're really big on like ceremonies right like right and they either last like all night they can last as long as a prayer or they can last your undergrad experience and so for me that's what helped me along too like yeah. you know wanting to stop out wanting to quit wanting to like change schools and my mom was like you're in the middle of a prayer you're in the middle of a ceremony you don't stop until it's done and I'm like okay mm. <laughs> and so you know like wow. completing the space with my family there on an island and 
in New England and you're just kind of like, I'm not a commodity, go away. Like <laughs> I have my medicine with me. Like I'm trying to like focus and be in a good space to end out the ceremony correctly. Yeah. And you know, people want to take my picture and then compare it to like in the classroom when I'm talking about like indigenous philosophies and ideas about like time, space, land, relationships. And in another class, someone being like, oh, I thought like Indians were like dinosaurs. They don't exist anymore. Wait, Literal somebody, <laughs> wait, like this is college or this is, this is, this is college. This is at Brown. Yeah. Wait, so you're just what is Brown. going on at Brown? <laughs> like, what? Is this, is, please tell me, th- is this the same class or this was a different class? Different class, which makes it worse. <laughs> is it a different class? Different class. So, okay. They said this before they knew you were there. Yeah. And so I was kind of like, right, I'm right here. Like, and they're like, oh, Okay. And I think it's that level of like, you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans. Right. Like, I was going to say that too. That I, <laughs> they expect that you have to have whatever was in cartoons, whatever was in Westerns. There's this thing, there's some feathers got to be somewhere and there's got to be some, some sort of something. Right. And it's like, I can wear some jeans and a t-shirt. Like, you yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's 2000, like-, like it's the year 2015 16 17 like why would I still dress like that like look at how the people dressed then too like do you see you know like look at the George Washington hair like like this sort of thing <laughs> nobody still walks around like that that blows my mind yeah and like I I wear my hair long um just like in acknowledgement of my practices and you know people wanting to touch it and be like oh it's so long can I touch it and I'm like no <laughs> This is so interesting. Why this is, I mean, I don't, I, if it's white people, because very often white people will say that to black people, they just like to touch a lot of people's hair. That's not white hair. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't, I can't imagine me saying that to you. You know, <laughs> I just can't imagine me saying that. That's so interesting. Or like, fascinating. So they'll like pet me and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> don't touch my scalp. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. And you know, I, I also explained in class, like what, significance hair has right it's like connected to my family it's connected to like the earth and my history and the past and you know there's a lot of like symbolism there too and so like when people just like go around touching your hair you're just like what are you doing (laughs) stop exactly exactly all right i'll let you tell you guys can you tell me us uh me and listeners about fierce okay what is fierce and how do you come up with it um i do remember from attending a fierce meeting the a person who I wish I pulled up my notes. I don't have them up, but one of the um, people who I think she was moderating shared an interesting story about um, when she was younger and like her mom would want to come, like being embarrassed when they talk about Columbus Day or whatever, and her mom would come to the school and want to cuss somebody out and be like, "What you need to te- you know teach the truth?" And she would be so embarrassed, and then she turned into that person by the time she was in high school, you know, like doing advocating for the same sort of thing. Uh, but fierce, fierce is about. Um, a different sort of education, right? So like, tell us what the acronym stands for. Yeah, uh, that was our fabulous uh, friend and colleague, Kemi <laughs> that you were referring to, Samantha. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so FIERCE is um, a student organization at the Ed School, and it stands for Future Indigenous Educators Resisting Colonial Education. And it was founded, I believe, around 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Well, I thought you this. No, it's been it's been active for a while at the Ed School at Harvard. Okay. And some years it's more active than others, depending on 
on how many Native students are, are at the school at that certain time. Makes sense. But um, yeah, but Fierce is dedicated to really critically thinking about education, indigenizing it, and building in the, the Native American perspective. Mm. Uh, and um, yeah, just contributing to a dismantlement of, of colonial education that we have all been indoctrinated into in certain ways yeah. in America's education system, especially around history, um, which we all sort of touched on just in this past conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so we hold events throughout the year. Um, November is pretty big for us. It's Native American Heritage Month. And so we have a lot of things planned. And Ooh. I'll let Viola jump in a bit and tell us more about Fierce too. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm actually drawn a lot to the name of the organization. It's not just really cool <laughs> being in Fierce, but also yeah. like the resisting colonial education. Just acknowledging that, you know, colonialism is baked into every aspect of, you know, U.S. culture. Um, yep. And just realizing, too, that this isn't the only way to conduct education. And, um, you know, making sure people acknowledge that they're settlers here in this Indigenous space, um, I think is really important. Uh, especially if we want to be topical and CNN reporting the racial makeup of voters and then had us as something else. And just really trying to bring acknowledgement to that too of like we're people we're not things like you can name us um as wait does that wait a second does that mean like they had like black white asian something else is that what <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so they, yeah. they they listed a lot of other races i guess or ethnicities or and then you're, you're something, other. Else. Other. Yeah. something else yeah <laughs> not a, something else like what is that yeah. else <laughs> <laughs> yeah that a thing like we're not things like we're people. that was was that this time around that was like yesterday it was on cnn okay yeah and <laughs> there are now like a number of memes that have been um using that term like in a proactive way by native american people just generally <laughs> who've been like you know like i'm something else today i'm feeling something else <laughs> <laughs> right that I, I hope you didn't catch us wind of that to freaking change that. What in the? Yeah, and it's it's one of those things too of like trying to avoid the erasure that tends to happen too around these spaces. Of right. Being like, well, this is this and this, and we're like, no, that's something differently. Like, I can actually speak to that and say like that's not truth. Um, and also having it, you know, at Harvard Graduate School of Education. Um, is very important too, because, you know, these are the future educators, future leaders of their communities, and we want to make sure that that all voices are acknowledged, no matter how small their populations, uh, yeah. <laughs> and especially yeah. when we're trying to make things a little bit more complex, um, especially around, like, I think trauma in education is pretty big too, of like, when do we start talking about slavery? When do we start talking about, you know, the Trail of Tears or, you know, the Dawes Act, if people even know what that is um, and how traumatic it can be for students and right. really trying to find ways in which we're not re-traumatizing the next generation and that we're actually properly giving voice. Yes, these things happened, um, but this is our future and this is what we're working against. Um, right. And I yeah. think too that that border of time I had mentioned earlier also comes up too because it's like when you're in a community that 
culturally values like the group instead of individualism the way colonialism um their history is yours so like when I think of my grandmother's history and my grandmother who has since passed you know I think of it as like my space like we have the same clan systems we have the same beliefs um and you know how far back that goes um so it's definitely like one of those things too where you're (laughs) for real code switching (laughs) in a lot of these spaces. And like, I know for me personally, even in grad school, like my jaw gets tired sometimes from having to like actively resist colonialism by like presenting my perspective as a Navajo person in these classrooms of like, yes, you're saying this, but like in my community, this means this. And like having to make sure everyone can follow along. And like what kind of resistance you get to speaking up as well. And so sometimes you're just like, I'm not in it today. Like, <laughs> I'll resist colonialism tomorrow. <laughs> it gets exhausting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, you would think it'd be easier, like, since we're all speaking English, but words mean different things. And mm-hmm. um, yep. sometimes yeah. it's not our first language, which is also interesting, too. Like, I'm not fluent in Navajo either, but like, I definitely think of it as my first language and English as my second Okay. And like how clumsy it can be when I'm trying to express certain things, mm. um, which I hear a lot of like international students talk about too, of like, I feel clumsier in English. I'm like, I feel that too, even though I don't fully speak my indigenous language. <laughs> I do a workshop. I haven't done it in a while, but I have one called Whose English Is It Anyway? And mm. I talk about how, um, depending mm. on where you learned your English, it means different things. Like there's just all, you know, if you learned it, just words that have different meaning and we people need to be understanding of that um and and expect that sort of thing and and even silence um body language gestures mean different things depending on where you learned your english so and it's like whose is it who's gets who does it get to be well it gets to be whoever it is for whatever you know but yeah i definitely notice that with different parts of this country and for um international students too you know when i was thinking about um the whole Joe Biden and voting and Native Americans were granted the right in the 60s, right? Wasn't it like 62 when, when, when by, through all the states they were granted? And that, that always is mind blowing too. Like, so like the people who were here first don't even get, get to vote until we decide, you know, it's like all these things that are a part of your story and it's not, you know, it's not impacting me firsthand, but it's just like, that is some bull crap. Um, because it's it's such a, like, a, a unique perspective, too. Um, because, yes, you're right. Nationally, we didn't get recognition to vote until, like, the 1960s. I always have to say, like, we went to the moon just around the time natives got to vote. <laughs> so, like, the frontier of, like, you know, human expedition is, like, so interesting uh, in American history. But also, like, we weren't citizens until, like, the 1920s. And yeah, 1924. Yeah, 1924. And my great-grandmother was born in 1890s. And I, I actually got a chance to speak with her when I was very young uh, and remember her. And so, like, my great-grandmother wasn't a citizen for a long time uh, of her life. And, you know, then having to wait so long to vote. Um, you know, and you know these stories and you're like, I spoke with her. This person is real in my mind, in my memory and spirit. And, you know, that's- But it's also like, she was born here. So what yeah. was she? Like, like <laughs> what do you consider this, an immigrant? Like what, it's, it's just so, 
messed up. I don't know what else to say aside from messed up. And I think of it as like black people who I don't even like to call it slavery. I personally refer to it as the 400 year hostage crisis with rape, torture and uh, murder. And um, it's like you you held all these people hostage and then you decide you just make a rule about them. It's just like, well, it could be three fifths of a person. So you can't really you're not. It's just like all this insane things all these insane things that really actually happen and sometimes i just like it's mind-boggling but the idea of like you know we we couldn't vote for a long time either you know we weren't fully whatever but the idea for that natives are not citizens and you i mean so yeah no no it's just the when you say like what was she considered like she's considered navajo like had to stay on the reservation like you literally had to get a permission to go off reservation and so that's why I hate that term off reservation too. That means a native person who escaped the confines of the reservation. Like you actually mm-hmm. had to go in, talk to somebody, they'd sign a form, they hand it to you and you got to go shop off reservation. So you had so to have like your papers with you. That way. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, this is our traditional land. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> no, you need to be showing me your papers. <laughs> like this is, I was here, we were here first. What are you talking about? Okay. Exactly. Well, um, this fierce will you stay in touch you know what I mean like I'd love to to you know I hope years from now I'm seeing some different sorts of curriculum or maybe it can you know like things that you guys create goes into some schools or something you know I guess it's probably too hard to say what can happen because of fierce um or if you connect with former fierce members but like what what could I guess what do you hope fierce can do Um, yeah, I, there's a lot, there's a lot of hope that I have, but uh, I think one thing for me, just personally being at Harvard, um, I work at Harvard, I've been at Harvard for the past four years, and seeing how unwelcoming it can be for not just people of color generally, but Native Americans specifically, I, I really hope that Fierce's presence at the ed school can make the ed school more critical in, in terms of like what they are prioritizing in their own um, sort of agenda for what education can be and how it can be more equitable. So I, I hope Fierce can become a visible presence at the ed school, a sustained presence there. Um, and yeah, I also hope it would be really cool if we could um, maybe workshop a curriculum plan or like yeah. come up with like some sort of like cool elementary school course on history that's more inclusive and more critical and um, you know like more honest more honest it's just like blatantly more honest <laughs> yeah uh, but uh, we have there are a number of uh, alums of Fierce who are now um, at different universities and around the country so I think there's a lot of potential moving forward for building on the work that has been done and that oh, work great is that how you uh, I worked for two years with a um, Japanese woman Um, we were co-teachers and um, she talked about how they start early in Japan with like the hard news you know like you learn from like kindergarten like kinder and first grade where you're starting to learn about some of the harder stories um, because they don't want history to repeat and so they start really young with the I mean I I think it's an age and it's in an age-appropriate way but it's starting, you know, they start delivering it. Like, this is what you need to learn about and this is what you need to know. And so you kind of grow up with knowing, oh, well, these things shouldn't happen. 
And mm-hmm. I was like, like, we are so far away from that. Like, they're like teeter-totter around just even saying slavery. It's like, no, you, it happened. We're not saying, I'm not saying you white teacher in this classroom is the same person who held slaves. I'm not saying that. So you don't need to take, take yourself out of the picture and teach the truth. Um, but anyway, Loyola, did you want to add anything to like what you hope um, about fears? I try to be optimistic, um, but I'm also trying to be realistic (laughs) (laughs) what we can do and just being like holding Harvard to like its understanding because it was an Indian school. It started off that way, Dartmouth as well. Mm. And, you know, just being like, honor the treaties. Like that's definitely the biggest thing too of like these extend beyond Congress, beyond like these powers of government. I'm like, these are between two entities. So you have to honor the treaties. And I know we mentioned IHS, the Indian Health Services. And, you know, people are even like, we should abolish that. I'm like, no, that's part of the treaty. Like (laughs) we earned that shit. Uh, Either that or give the land back or do both. Like that's okay too. Um, you know, like realizing in like, um, this concept of, again, of time and boundary, right. Of like what I'm doing now isn't for me. It's for the future generations and just being okay with like, you'll probably never see the fruits of your labor and Mm -hmm. that's okay. Um, and you just pray for the future and you just pray for blessings and you continue on your teachings, your understandings, you know, the bear is my grandfather, <laughs> my uncle is my son. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where you can like extend it to just yourself and that's okay. Um, and I'm trying to like think big picture too of like what fears can do, what's the possibilities. But for now, I'm just like, if we just six people who meet yep. every week and just talk and like exchange some jokes, like, or funny memes, I'm okay with that too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well I mean, education is so oppressive that, to a lot of people. <laughs> the fact that you're meeting every week is huge. Um, I think that a lot can come just out of that in itself. So yeah. Yeah. Just to sort of jump in on that aspect, um, meeting every week with other native people who are invested in education is so empowering. And mm. also like during this pandemic, when we're all learning on Zoom online, yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's even more, it's even more meaningful and helpful to have you know that community of, of people. Right, I bet. Okay, we'll wrap up. So I'm gonna go back to where we started with this is today that Biden won, that it was declared. What are your thoughts or expectations or hopes? For this next administration, it's been an interesting past four years. Um, are you hoping for a different next four? Or I am glad those who want won, but at the same time, knowing that the fight's not over, of like stop police brutality, stop missing and murdered Indigenous women, stop fracking, like it just acknowledging the Keystone Pipeline that's still in the courts, you know, and knowing that that happened underneath the Obama administration too, which Joe Biden was president of, and, mm. you know, they deployed military forces against U.S. citizens. And then when the whole thing happened in Seattle, they're like, oh, this hasn't happened since. I'm like, no, bastard. Like, it happened, like, a few years ago. Mm. And just realizing, you know, who's considered a citizen still and who isn't. Um, we're nearly a hundred years away from like when natives were given their citizenship. So it's also like, just because the, 
new person is coming in, like, don't forget, we're still fighting for these things, um, ending police brutality, first and foremost, against uh, people of color. And, you know, his whole comment of like, just shoot them in the legs. I'm like, how about we don't shoot people? Like, <laughs> let's start there, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, who also imprisoned a lot of people of color in California. Right. So yes, I'm glad because the alternative is terrible, but at the same time, I'm like, don't get comfortable, Loyola. Like, you still have to fight and work and right. make yeah, sure they those both have this history, are- right? With people of color, but black people in particular too, with this police mm-hmm. stuff and who she who was locking up. I did. I was not aware that Joe Biden said just shoot him in the leg. Like, I, I, <laughs> I missed that. I didn't even know that happened. Um, yeah, it's like don't shoot. Do you realize how many there are a lot of a certain group that aren't getting shot? Do that same thing. Like use your taser. Like I mean, shooting in the leg, I guess, is a nice alternative, but I mean they could bleed out like <laughs> don't shoot as a better There's a lot of like <laughs> right, there's veins there. I'm like, don't don't do that. Like yeah. How about you being back? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you have tasers. Whatever like, you're doing to white people, just do that here too. Like, don't shoot them. <laughs> Don't choke exactly. them out. Like, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Run around the car. I see these things anyway. where this white person is coming out with some weapon and the cop like actually turned and ran and they're chasing each other around a car. And I'm like, yeah. So you <laughs> didn't even think about deploying your weapon for a second. Like you didn't even, and this other cop comes to help. No weapon either, but comes to try to tackle the guy. And I'm just like, you never even thought about your weapon. Mm-hmm. So do that same, do that same thing. Um, Isaac, did you want to share like any thoughts on? Uh, the next four being different from the last four or? Yeah, yeah, I sort of similarly to Loyola, I'm, I'm glad there's a change of, of leadership that was sorely needed. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm also very um, hesitant to, you know, just be happy and content with, with, with that change because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Absolutely. The hard work. And I really, I think for me is, the one big key thing for me is to hold people accountable, hold the elected officials to their word yeah. and push them to address these issues of systemic racism and the way that black and indigenous people of color have been marginalized. And especially under this pandemic, you know, the um, communities of color have been um, hit with it in larger numbers than Absolutely. others. And that needs to be addressed. And I'm hoping that these priorities that have been become buzzwords lately on social media from Joe Biden's team and other people in the Democratic field, I hope they become more than buzzwords and actually become, you know, real goals that they would want to work forward, uh, work toward. Um, And one other thing is I'm really happy that like a lot of younger people are getting involved and raising up their voices and making right. it happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and been really nice to see. It's been so inspiring. And like young people of color are coming out and they're making change happen. Um, so that that gives me a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Especially in those like red states too, where you see like the little blue counties. And I'm like, there's the indigenous people, y'all. Just remember that <laughs> when you see like these blue counties, be like, "That's a reservation. We know it." Thank exactly. you for voting. Um, continuing to vote, even though like the numbers and odds are so overwhelming in these red states. Um, again, shout out to Arizona for changing uh, into a blue state, thanks to our indigenous peoples there and everywhere <laughs> for voting. Uh, it's definitely a complex history about 
voting for, you know, these colonialist powers, um, this whole campaign of like voting is sacred. I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> Please stop saying that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one last thing is that uh, I think on Tuesday, um, the news came out that six Native Americans were elected to, to Congress, which is a big deal. Wow. Like, I missed that. Yeah. And that so, is a big deal. I feel like that's a lot, right? Like at once, <laughs> one election. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that also gives me hope that there are more native perspectives in the halls of legislature in this country. You know, um, I, I agree that I hope Joe Biden and Kamala both will, you know, won't be like buzzwords like you were saying, Isaac. Um, it's, you know, I've been as a black person. I mean, people are super excited. They're like, you know, it's the first woman. It's a black woman. It's a South Asian woman. Um, and so I, I am excited about that, but I am like excitedly, you know, like, but let me proceed with caution, right? For just for both of them and, and hope that, okay, let's actually do something that's meaningful um, for, for, you know, black folks, indigenous and people of color. So we're all on the same page there. Well, thank you so much for your time. I certainly learned a lot on this episode. I hope you did too. I wish Loyola and Isaac and all the members of Fierce all the best in their endeavors. That's it for our show. Do you have daily border crossing moments to share that you've experienced or witnessed or just want to talk about? Be a guest. Reach out at daily border crossings. That's crossings with an S at gmail.com or search for daily border crossings again with an S on Facebook. Remember, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and other places you get your podcasts. So please subscribe and share. As always, Daily Border Crossings is produced by moi, C.S. Fletcher, with music by Miles J. Beats. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time.